Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms. It is Psalm 146. And Psalm 146, all the way through the end of that book, uh, the rest of those psalms begin the same way. Praise the Lord. Um, In a word, in in, in Hebrew, it's just hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Every one of these psalms begins with that uh, acclamation. And so I invite you to listen carefully and listen well now to Psalm 146, for this too is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his very plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The opening to this hymn is this cacophony of praise. Hallelujah to the Lord. Um, The first sentence uh, says, praise the Lord. And it is sort of a general invitation and call to do that. The second line becomes a little more introspective. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So the psalmist is speaking to himself, and we're called to speak to ourselves in a similar fashion. But first I want you to think about this larger and broader call to praise the Lord and to praise the Lord together. When I think of praising God, I'm reminded of a trip that I took a couple years ago with the presbytery to, to Malawi, which is in sort of... Uh, southeastern Africa, and to a town called Nkoma, which is beneath the mountain. Nkoma Mountain there rises up in a similar way that Grandfather Mountain kind of rises up above us here in Avery County. The community itself is much closer to the base of the mountain, though, and uh, it's an impoverished area. Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world, and they have these red brick buildings. There's a rural hospital, which we support, and uh, but it is it is quite rural. Uh, <laughs> folks flood there from the region to receive medical care, um, but their two-person emergency room 
uh, or excuse me, two-room emergency room uh, is really just like a space there with a little bed on it. Um, Usually folks arrive too late when they try to make the emergency room. So there you've got the hospital. It's red uh, brick and, and then sometimes whitewashed walls. You've got a seminary. You've got a school. Um, you've got a community, homes, small homes gathered around. And in the center of all of that is the church, uh, a beautiful church, a large church. And as you uh, approach on a Sunday morning and draw near. The grounds are full of people. They're standing room only at all of the services. And if you were actually to cross those grounds during the week, while choir practice was in session, <laughs> at the building right next door with concrete floors and a metal roof so that the space just kind of echoes with the sound of folks singing, you would have a better idea of what it means to praise the Lord. Uh, their choirs are, you know, as big as our church. And you go and you hear these folks singing in harmonies that blend and just have this ethereal, almost otherworldly, heavenly sound to them. I remember walking past and the door was kind of cracked open and I dared to stick my head in. And there's the choir. They're not doing anything they think is special, but it was arresting. To praise the Lord means something like that. Something which lifts us up and directs us to that worship that is ongoing in heaven and does not cease. The angels gathered around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm, when I think of praising the Lord, I think of gathering with you on a Sunday morning, on the day of the resurrection, right here in Newland, also beneath the shadow of a mountain. I think of you, of your faces, uh, of each of you as you come and as you greet one another and as you bring all of your life into this space and direct your praise toward God, um, giving thanks for the lives that he's given you, praying for those that you love, asking that you be drawn further in, further up and further into the life of the Lord, the Lord to whom we give praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Give thanks to your holy name. Uh, you know, I met a, a friend in, in Coma. His name is Maxwell. He's a Ph.D. student in Hebrew. And so, which is always dangerous to a firstborn when your dad loves Hebrew, because when, when his firstborn son arrived, he named him Hillel, which is not Chechewa and it's not English. It is Hebrew. It's actually the beginning of this song. Kind of. Hallelujah. Halal is this praise. So every time his son hears his name throughout the whole course of his life, he's going to be called to praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Maybe, he's, maybe he has and will have just a little bit of a better window into that because he's going to be called this his whole life long. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Now, your soul is that spiritual aspect of, of you, you have a body, you have a soul. You are an ensouled body. Uh, you are both. You are not just a soul with a body wrapped around it. You are both together, but your soul is that aspect of you that kind of gathers all of who you are up and kind of carries your identity. Um, uh, you know, your, your, um, 
You can think of your soul as that aspect of you which gathers in all of who you are, um, including your body. Your body, every seven years, every cell in it is replaced. I don't know if you knew that. Every seven years, completely different. So, so what is that about who you are that is still you? And that's carried in your soul. Um, there's, there's like a, a, a famous sort of uh, uh, game that's played. It's not much of a game, but it's talking about Odysseus's ship. You know, what if he goes on this great voyage and comes back, but during the course of his voyage, every board on the ship was replaced? Is it still the same ship? <laughs> you think about that for a second. Is that still the same boat? Are you still the same you that you were 14 years ago? I mean, in many ways we grow and we change, but you are not just your body. There's something that gathers you in and gathers you up and draws in all the relationships, all of the formative experiences that you've had and maintains that. That is your soul. It is the life within you. At the center of that is your heart and your will. And at the center of your heart is your noose. It is that highest aspect of you called the eyes of your heart, which we've spent a summer praying that we would be able to see the Lord and to see his glory around us. Jesus says, uh, the pure in heart will see God. That's what he's talking about. The eyes of your heart, that noetic place within you, it's a way to think of it, that is made for connection with God, made to see God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within you. Praise His holy name. You know, the next line, um, the next two really, say, I will pray, it's a bold claim. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praises to my God while I have my being, which implies at some point your being, well, you might not just hold it anymore in the same way that you presently do. As long as you live implies this aspect of uh, uh, maybe an end of that life, right? As long as you live, the psalms is saying, I will sing praise to God. Um, so I was thinking about this line. I think this is really getting to some of the core of this passage. To sing praise to God as long as you live. This is a goal, a task, a gift worthy of your entire life. Here's something worth your entire self, all your days. From the rising of the sun to its setting, great is your name to be praised, O Lord. But not just in a given day, from your birth to your death, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Here's something worth your entire effort, your entire self, your whole being, all your days in between. We give ourselves to so many things. We have seasons of life. You know, I remember uh, as a little kid, I thought the greatest thing going was getting to mow the grass with Dad. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, getting to ride on the tractor, you know, was kind of it. Is there anything better than that? That was the focus when I was a little kid. But, but you know, then I encountered this thing called baseball. And boy, there's the shift. And so I thought I could play baseball or basketball or sports. Or, and then you start going to school and all those things connect together. And so here's a major um, kind of aspect to my young life. So family and then sports and school. 
Now, it's kind of, it's been a pleasant surprise. You know, most of those things are, are in the past now. It's been a pleasant surprise to be able to go play with the uh, high school team on Monday evenings. I thought basketball days were behind me. Uh, uh, well, maybe in, their, maybe in its own way that is showing me that basketball days are behind me. <laughs> um, Matt's gotten out there a time or two. And, uh, yeah, so it's, there's, there's some joy there. I'm still doing school. That's a little bit of a surprise, too. But the major focus is no longer on those things in the same way that it was. It can't receive the main focus of my life anymore in the way that it did. You know, being, being a parent is something that kind of wraps up your identity and opens up a new one within you. Um, you can't go play golf all the time when there's a child at home that needs a diaper change or that needs, you know, uh, clothes and needs food and needs, 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 needs and needs to be played with and loved and nurtured. And that takes up a major focus. And you give yourself to that and you try to give yourself to that more. Um, and so there's a, another big season of your life in which you're focused in a particular way, but uh, there's a few people in this room who would say, yeah, that goes really quickly. Say, so that season of life seems like it's gone in the blink of an eye. It goes so fast, is the word every, I, I hear from everyone, right? And it does go fast. And so you can't give your whole self to that because what happens when it's gone in the way that it started? Maybe it's work. Give yourself to your work, to the goals that you have in your life, to providing, you know, uh, um, um, an income. Um, if you're fortunate enough, I had a conversation this past week with somebody who said, I would have, I would have worked for nothing doing the job I had. Loved it so much. You're really fortunate if you have a job like that. Um, that gives you meaning and purpose, but eventually, eventually, one way or another, that comes to an end as well. You know, many of you in this room uh, have been blessed to know a retirement, and if you're fortunate enough to know that, um, it's, there, there's great joy in it. There's freedom. The world kind of opens up. The nine to five is different now. You can travel in ways that you couldn't before. You can see places you haven't seen. You can have experiences now that were limited by those aspects of your life that took your focus earlier on. But guess what? Even that begins to shrink. That wide open freedom you experienced in the beginning starts to get a little smaller and a little smaller, and you can't go like you once went, and you can't see as far as you used to see. And life begins to shrink down, and that circle gets smaller and smaller. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Here's something that can gather up all of those seasons of life and hold them. You can praise the Lord as long as you live in every single section of your life in a way that gathers up all of that and offers it back to the Lord. It is something big enough to house all of who you are and all that you will ever do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Here's something big enough that it's a worthy goal for your life. From its rising to its setting, great is the Lord to be praised. 
the psalmist is going to give us some reasons why we can praise God because of who he is, what he's done. But before he gets there, he sets up for us a, a bit of a foil. Right? It's that seventh grade English word, you know, that's the opposite. He's going to give us uh, a, a, um, something not to do, basically. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Now that phrase, son of man, usually causes our ears to perk up because that's a title for Jesus, right? But he is the son of man, not a son of man. The, the reference here is to a son of man being a son of a human being. Just a man is the emphasis. Put not your trust in princes, a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, last week we talked about praying for those in positions of authority, praying for our president, the leaders of the nations, and so on and so forth. Even when we didn't like the one that's in place or the one that was in place or the one that will be in place, we're called to pray for those in positions of leadership. But this morning's passage reminds us not to put our hope in them, not to trust them in an ultimate way. These things are not worth your whole life. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. The political realm is not big enough to hold your whole life. It's not a worthy task. It's an important one, but it is not worth your whole being. So don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there's no salvation. Rather, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Blessed is that one. Why? Because of the one to whom his hope is placed, in whom his hope is placed, and the one from whom his help comes, who's done some things, who created the heavens and the earth, and all that is in them, the sea and all that is in them, whose faith is forever, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who feeds the hungry, gives food to those who hunger. These, you might say, these clauses are broken down in a particular way when you're reading them. Uh, there's this line of, who has done this and this and this and this? And then it shifts to say, the Lord has done this. The Lord has done that. The Lord has done this. So in these first few that claim the Lord who created the heavens, earth, the sea, and all that is in them, um, continue. It's, it's a statement of some of the things that God has done in the past. God has created everything. Heavens, earth, the pew underneath you, your own self. God has created all that is. So we praise the creator, the one who's, who gives life, who gives being, who gives existence, who, who also keeps faith forever. That sounds a lot like covenant language, doesn't it? Who keeps faith forever, who makes a promise that's sealed, that's good for all time. So we're talking about the God of creation, the God who makes covenant. And this God who is so great doesn't just look at the great, people in the world, or those the world assumes to be great, but also looks specifically upon the oppressed, upon, the, upon those other people tramped down, upon those who are hungry, 
You could think of this even in the passage or the story of the Exodus. Think about what God has done in the past. The God who's created all things, well, this is the God who shows that very clearly to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Those ten plagues are sort of an undoing of creation in a way and a demonstration that God, I am who I am, is sovereign over all of it. We also see in the Exodus story the God who makes covenant, who keeps faith forever and who is faithful to his promises from one generation to the next, who executes justice for the oppressed. Israel's an enslaved people and he sets them free and he feeds them who were hungry in the wilderness wanderings, right? When they don't have food, he sends manna from heaven, the bread come down from heaven. You could think of these things as things that God has done in the past. But you could also think about these things in, in a sense of what God does in the present. Who he was yesterday is the same as he is today and tomorrow. And so he does this in your life too. God has created you in all of your particularity, in all of your uniqueness, in what makes you you. God wanted you and has made you for his own glory so that you might reflect his love in the world. God created you and... God keeps faith with you forever. I don't know 100%, but pretty close. I think probably 100% of the people in this room have been baptized, have received the covenant promise, have received baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been joined to Christ's death and raised with Him into new life, and you have received the promise that He will be faithful to you. He has gathered you into His self by way of the Spirit. You have been uh, marked, uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. He keeps faith with you forever, the child that He's made. And He executes justice for you. He will feed you at this table. He will care for you. We, we see this uh, over and over again as, he, as this passage continued. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over those who journey from the rising of the sun to its setting. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. If you think of your life, uh, you can see God doing all these things in you principally in Jesus. If you look at the gospel stories, uh, Jesus sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. You know, when we were worshiping outside during COVID, we're trying to figure out how do we make our way through this strange and unusual time and unprecedented moment in our lives? How do we journey through discomfort well and faithfully with Jesus? And so we went to the gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke begins with Jesus in Galilee. It's a very comfortable place for him. Home. But then he wanders through the land of Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, this place of confrontation and discomfort. But Samaria was a place where Jews weren't particularly welcomed. And his engagement with the people there began to open up some things for us. And I remember on a couple Sundays in a row, we had passages from Luke that spoke to Jesus granting recovery of sight to a man who was blind. And then the next week, we remember the story of Jesus seeing a woman who was bowed down, who had been bent over for nearly two decades. And Jesus sees her and has compassion on her. 
and speaks to her, heals her, and she stands up straight again. We look at these things that the psalmist wrote, that the psalmist wrote ascribing to God's glory, and we see Christ come, God revealed among us, and what is He doing? He's doing these things. And of course, He does these things in your life. We've been praying that God, during this summer, would open the eyes of our hearts, that He would grant recovery of sight to us who, who see through a glass dimly, who don't see the Lord as clearly as we ought because, really, of our sin, which prevents that. And we've been asking God to purify our hearts that we might see Him, that He would grant recovery of sight to us. We've been asking God to, to set us free. You know, we had a prayer vigil on Friday, and one of the icons that we brought in here uh, was uh, Jesus healing those who were in need of healing. And you could see the woman who was standing right in front of him was bent all the way over at the waist. wonder who that woman was, right? The woman he straightened up. And there were a few others in line with varying ailments at the back. There was the demoniac. You knew this because he was chained. He was bound. He was imprisoned by this demonic spirit which was within him that was contorting him. Jesus, remember the stories of Jesus healing the demoniac? Casting out demons from people? He sets free those who are imprisoned, principally from sin and death. These are the things that Jesus still does among us and still does in your life. And I don't know what binds you this morning. And I don't know what's preventing you from seeing the Lord in the fullness of His glory. But Jesus is the one who comes to do something about that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. So we see God's work in the past, principally focused in Jesus, and recognize how that continues to impact our lives now in the present. He's still doing these same things in you and in us. But the final clause to this passage looks to the future. I don't know if you caught that. From the rising of the sun till its setting, and even beyond into that uh, creation, into that kingdom where there is no need for us anymore because the Lord is our light. The one who keeps faith forever, well, the psalm ends by saying, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. The Lord will reign forever. This is wonderful news. I don't know if that puts a smile on your face this morning, but it should. The Lord reigns forever. Not a prince. You know, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. Put your trust in any prince, but in Jesus, who is the king, who will reign forever in Zion. Zion, the spiritual kingdom, which is over every earthly one. That spiritual Jerusalem that shall one day come down out of heaven from God when the whole world is set right and made new. Jesus will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. As we come to this psalm this morning, we recognize that within it is a call worthy of your entire life, of your entire being, of all your work, of all your relationships, of your family, of your goals, everything. It can gather it all up. And Jesus is the one who continues to come to you in the present, making that, that hope and that goal a reality. And He's also the one who moves us towards a future that will be for all generations. You know, 
this morning. Emily and Zach were sitting in front of me. Emily's due on Wednesday. <laughs> There's another generation. Airly is back there this morning. I hope I didn't say her name and wake her up just now. But there's another. Ruth, same age as Airly practically. Um, next part of this next generation. Brody was sitting in the very back of the uh, fellowship hall this morning during worship in the chair that he likes so much. Uh, Lily and Anna and Spencer. We could, Olivia, we could continue to name this next generation. The Lord will reign over all generations forever and ever. And part of your work this morning is to, to live a life in praise of God in such a way that you can receive Christ's ministry in the present and also share it with the next generation to come. It's a task worthy of your whole life. Praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.